If you spend enough time hanging out with marketers and creatives, you eventually get to talking about marketing and creative. On today's episode of Maiden Voyage, we're doing just that, debating our unpopular marketing opinions and sharing our sometimes unwelcome pet peeves. Women face unique challenges, from glass ceilings at work to everyday personal stressors. The Maiden Voyage podcast covers it all, offering tips and tricks for overcoming your struggles. While this lady-hosted podcast focuses heavily on women's issues, it's relevant for anyone who values self-improvement, equality, and badass inspiration. We all navigate this journey together. Welcome aboard. So I just looked at some of the list of things that we're going to talk about in this episode, and I'm already hot about it. I have already seen some things on this list that I immediately need more information about. Um, and Carissa, I'm going to need you to explain yours. Um, every blog needs a CTA. I just got like, I had a physical reaction to that sentence. So you're saying every Why? blog doesn't need a CTA? No. Tell me more. Okay. I'm saying like, Yes, every blog needs a CTA. I don't care if, like, it, if you're ending a blog with just a, like, drop us a line and not a real CTA to actually push someone to, a, like, the next relevant step of, like, whatever related content. I don't care if it's just like, if you have a top of the funnel piece and you have no other content or blogs in between and you need to push them to a service page, push them to something. Do not just end the blog with drop us a line. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes I don't even say for that. Yeah. I thought you were saying there are blogs that don't need CTAs. No. (sighs) You, you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You thought that of me for like a minute. CTA. So unpopular opinion there are real CTAs and other CTAs yeah I mean okay so it's it's amazing when you have like a content library built out right you have um relevant like ebook offers you have um pdf downloads like sell sheets whatever it is that you can guide someone to even if it's just another blog that's more um relevant like having a CTA rate is so important for seeing how your content is performing because if you're getting like a thousand views on a blog a month and you don't have a relevant content offer at the bottom and you're not pushing someone further down the funnel, then they're just stuck. They just like, they got your top of the funnel content and like, they don't care about you. They don't, they don't need anything else from you. Right. But it's like continuously providing value and like showing that, Hey, we have more related on this subject. Like we have more that can help you. It's just, it's super duper frustrating when you have this like amazing, like top of the funnel blog. And then it ends with nothing. Like, why would you do that? (laughs) Well, this is an interesting question to riff off of that, Carissa. It actually ties into one of mine a little bit. Where one of my pet peeves, though, is when a client, they don't have really a relevant content offer that applies to the blog directly. So they kind of just throw whatever the content offer or two that they have in for like top of the funnel or middle of the funnel. And they kind of force it at the end, if that makes sense. And it's not really relevant. I have a hard time when it comes to that too, where you're right. You don't want to not put anything there, but I get like mad. It's a pet peeve when I see that. And I'm like, that's not, you don't have anything else to put there. So you put that content offer there. You're not even going to get click-throughs or conversions because it's not relevant to what you're talking about. And it's not enticing the reader in any way. 
if that right. makes sense. You, you need so, products or service pages. At the is it least. better to have no CTA or a slightly less relevant CTA? Is it, is it worse to have no CTA? Which, I, which if you, those are your choices, which do you choose? Um, see, uh, it makes me angry because like <laughs> the, the personal part of me, the personal part of me wants to say, don't put anything there and or like push them to another relevant blog or something that might be able to nurse them a little bit along if you don't have an appropriate CTA until you can create a relevant content offer. But the marketer in me knows that you know, conversions are so valuable and we need them. So there might be a chance that even though it isn't relevant, someone might find that content offer interesting and want to do it. So the marketer in me says, just stick it there until you have a better solution. But the personal me knows well, it might be like a freaking year until we scope out and make another content offer. So why are you keeping that there for a year when it doesn't make sense? You know what I mean? But do you think, I mean, what's the the con of that versus like sending, even if it's an unrelated blog to me, that's like, like, or even slightly, what if they don't have a slightly related blog? You know, like I, that's where I feel like service pages and um, product pages are so important. Because whenever you're starting out and you you don't have a like a content library whatsoever, you don't have eBooks, you hardly have any blogs, you really don't have anywhere to send anybody. Like you should at least be talking about something somewhat relevant to the services that you offer and yeah. enough to be able to push them to that page, right? Yeah. Um, or if it's absolute bottom of the funnel, like um, like why you should choose this company for this particular service, like send them to your contact page. But don't just end it with like nothing to click on and like nowhere to go, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I, I think know. it's maintaining that kind of like band-aid mindset as a marketer to figure out, okay, we're going to put something here. We have to have like a placeholder until we come up with a better solution, you know? Yeah. So something I like to do in those cases, because I'm not a huge fan of ending a CTA with a call to action to go to a service page. I think there are times when it makes sense, um, but from like an organic traffic to lead attribution standpoint, you tend to see a really hefty drop off when you do that. Right. Um, and from like a client services standpoint, working in for a marketing agency, we try to like have our proof points, right? So something I've done in the past is done like a generic persona CTA, where like maybe we have three or four offers for that persona. Um, and in HubSpot, you can run an A-B test on calls to action and kind of use it like a rotator. Mm -hmm. um, so if I don't have the perfect offer for the blog post, I might use like my generic, like Sally CEO CTA. And then I'll know when Sally comes to read the page, she's going to be served one of these four things. And actually over time um, in HubSpot, I'll be able to measure which of those four things performed the best on the page. Mm -hmm. um, which is really helpful and like be like, oh, well, actually this like guide to giving your employees unexpected benefits did really well here. So I'm going to just swap it to that CTA and get rid of those other three. Or you can say none of these are working, but this blog has taken off. So I need to write a new offer for this. That's going to fit it better. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like if all else fails, go to persona. And A-B test it. Uh, yeah. And by all means, put a CTA on your blogs. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is the bottom line. I, I do appreciate your, your opinion on that, Julie, versus like, there is a time and place to push 
folks to a service page, but totally. it's, it's not always going to be the answer just because you don't have anything. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I, yeah. I also love like, especially in SaaS, um, I think a great way to go product specific is like comparison pages. Yeah. <laughs> like th- that approach, if you have those and you don't have a great offer, but you have that like middle of the funnel blog post, that consideration stage content, like send me to a comparison page. Yeah. Do it. You're, you get to talk about your features without talking about your features. Vendor comparison guide, turn it into a table. <laughs> Oof. Oof. That could easily be repurposed too into some sort of downloadable content offer in a way where it's like public facing, almost like a pillar page, but then you compress it down into like a takeaway resource that people could read later or even just take a part of that longer page and have like make a one pager that's like a pretty chart of comparing like the three different services or products or whatever. And yeah. it's like, oh, I'll take this too take this to your big shop boss who makes all the decisions for you and give them this, Uh you know, so that's really good. Give this to your boss content. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't take that long. The content is already there. You're still kind of whipping it up into a nice little offer and getting the conversion. Yeah. Well, apparently we all get a little, a little hot about CTAs because I have a couple CTA items that Mm -hmm. are on my list to share. Um, one of them, this is a very unpopular marketing opinion. Um, and I'm going to say it in a very clickbaity way and then explain myself. Um, ugly CTAs work. So here's the deal. (laughs) Many, many, many times gone to a website, read a blog post and scroll down to the graphical CTA at the bottom of that post and, um, missed it. And the reason why I have missed it is because it is designed so beautifully to fit into the aesthetic of the website. Mm-hmm. It was perfectly I branded. Didn't, I, it was perfectly branded. Yeah. If I saw that as a standalone item, like in an email footer or on social media, I probably would have noticed it. Right. But when you have a white website with black copy and you make a white CTA with black copy, and your accent color is medium blue, and you put a little medium blue in your CTA, I'm probably not gonna see it. Mm, So when I say ugly CTAs work, what I mean is that a little bit of contrast and tension makes things stand out more and makes them more clickable. So if you have that white website with black text and a little bit of blue, do you make a blue CTA? Do you make a black CTA? Do you split it somehow? Do you add some angles? Like you have to work within your brand guidelines and your own visual identity, but you got to jostle it a little bit. Um, like you'll see all these studies where people are like, oh, I tested a red versus a green call to action button and the red one did better. So red CTAs are amazing. Red CTAs are not amazing. Red CTAs don't automatically work better. It's not some like crazy color theory thing. It's that look at the site where they tested that red versus green CTA. Did the red one visually pop out more? Probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about what will visually pop out here and still look like us and feel like us and not be truly ugly, but uh, create, create some visual tension if you want people to pay attention to something. Yeah, I do think that's something that's 
people sometimes get a little bit wrong when they're trying to determine if something worked or not. Like something isn't like a CTA. There are two different things happening because there's the original branding of the website and then there's the branding of the CTA that are happening at the same time. In a typical like, you know, marketing experience, uh, experiment, we kind of treat it like a science project and you should only be changing one thing at a time, right? To see how something uh, changes the outcome. But those are two different things happening at the same time. And people often forget that. Yeah, they attribute it to different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, super, super important. Um, I will also say like most A-B testing that we do as marketers, uh, I've seen a lot of people not go through the hassle of like testing for statistical significance and um, having like a decent confidence rate and actually treating it like a science experiment. Um, which is when you start to see like, oh, this one had like a 3% higher click-through rate, so it must be better. Um, but you don't actually know. Yeah. That's the number you're looking at. You don't know yet if your test was effective. Right. Um, and is click-through rate the right metric that you want to measure? Maybe, maybe not. So if I'm testing a call to action for colors or design, I probably am actually testing the click-through rate. I want to keep an eye on like the submission rate of that landing page and just make sure the click to submission still makes sense. But if I'm testing like the copy on the call to action, I might actually be looking at landing page submission rate over CTA click rate, right? Because yes, the language on the CTA will change the click through rate. But what if the problem I'm having is that people click the CTA and then they get to the landing page and they don't fill it out? Yeah. Um, yeah doesn't matter what I do to the CTA. It means the copy's wrong. The copy, I can make it glittery flames and <laughs> I get all the clicks in the world, but if something's misaligned there, yeah, ain't gonna work. I love that visual. Glittery flame. It's glittery awesome. flame. I just love a little glitter. On that, on that, um, I guess let's call it a CTA thread. Julie, tell me how you feel about pop-ups. <laughs> oh, I'm ready for this one. I've been waiting. I have written this. I have written so many blogs about this. Um, so here's the deal with pop-ups. Everyone says they hate them. Everyone. Like almost a cultural universal. We hate things popping up in front of our face. Mm -hmm. Um when you put a pop-up CTA used in the right place at the right time with the right amount of value on a website, it will easily be one of your most effective calls to action. People love to click them. People love to click them. Paint the picture first, Julie, of like the ideal pop-up situation. All right. So here's where I don't want you to use a pop-up. I come to your homepage for the first time. Oh my God. I scroll one scroll. You cover my entire screen with a subscribe to your newsletter offer that doesn't have an X that I can close. Oh yeah. Oh, that. oh that's not useful to you? Don't do that. That's they, a hard no. They haven't established any kind of value to you and you don't yeah. want to subscribe to their newsletter? Weird. I don't. I don't. Also, I might argue getting people to subscribe to your newsletter is like not the best call to action in That's general. So Unless so your newsletter is a thriving source of leads for your business, in which case, hey, fantastic. Get people to subscribe to that newsletter all day long. Yeah, hey, good for you. Right. Most newsletters I receive... 
Um, I open them though. So if you're looking at your open rate, oh, that's another one we could put on this list. If you're looking at your open rate, I am helping you improve that by opening and deleting my email. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, I'm a bad marketer. Um, <laughs> but a good pop-up is one where like, let's say you're our SaaS company and you have one of those great comparison pages. Yeah. And you see that you have a visitor on page for like a full 45 seconds, which I feel like on a SaaS comparison page is a pretty like long dwell time. We have Solid. small, we have small attention spans. Um, so I see them on the page for a long time, or maybe I see that they've scrolled down to the comparison table. Mm-hmm. And then I say, Hey, you know, it would be great here. A little pop-up form. Download the guide. Right. You've, you've gotten to this thing. So maybe the offer is, hey, I want you to download this. Maybe the offer is, great, you've seen the comparison. You've seen how we stack up. Can we show you book a demo? Yeah. Right? Maybe even, blow some minds. Um, I've done tests on pricing pages in SAS where we did CTA buttons that launched a pop-up um, and a form in that modal instead of sending someone to a landing page because we felt like we're just giving you too many clicks. We just want to make it easy for you to come in and request a demo. So if you're looking at pricing yeah. and you click request a demo, I'm be like, here you go, fill out this form for me. Yep. So it was like twice as effective. Yeah. And yes, statistically significant. Um, so like use it right, use it to enhance the visitor's experience, not to like blow stuff into their face. Um, And there's nothing wrong with them. And even sometimes if you do them in an obtrusive way, like those exit intent pop-ups before you go, have you done this thing? It can be pretty effective. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the numbers don't lie. All numbers lie, but it, it's crazy though, how much we will complain about them yet. How, how well they work. That's crazy. It's all about timing when it comes to those. Yeah. Timing in regards to like how long you're on the page or the location of where you're scrolling and all that, that super comes into play. Nobody wants to be slapped with anything probably within the first like 15 seconds of being on a page. It's like you said, Krissa, they have to find value. Like, oh, they didn't find value and you hit them with a pop-up? Weird. Weird. They didn't like it. Weird. I would love it if you could, um, I'm sure you can do this. HubSpot natively doesn't do this, but like show a pop-up for returning visitors like your second visit if you're not a customer yeah I want to be like hey welcome back let me provide you some value real quick and then you can say no thanks I'm already where I need to be like great Mm -hmm. but a first-time visitor like leave them alone you got to win them over got to win their heart how we feel about this surprise little riff here that I'm going to throw in the like pop-up chat window feature Get out. So like you're on a website, you just get there, you're poking around, and then like Sally pops up and she's like, Hey, I'm Sally Jones. Do you need any help with anything? How do you feel about the chat features? Guys, no. No. <laughs> no. Like I I don't think when I first go to a site that a, it should be popping up. I think after I've been there for a bit, if I am on a service page for over um like a minute or two. Yeah, pop up and ask me if I have a question. If I am on the contact us page with like no activity for a minute, okay, give me a pop up. Maybe I need a little bit more information before I'm ready to contact you. I, I, I feel like it should be on like friction points 
of the website and maybe after you've been there for a bit. But like, I could be completely wrong on that. But personally, it frustrates me as a marketer. Personally, haven't dealt with it enough to really see like statistical evidence of like what works and what doesn't. And I feel like Julie's probably got an opinion. So I want to hear. Like, this is where my old is going to show. My old and my lazy. So a lot of times I'm like very lazy. Um, and if I've like clicked two things and I can't find what I'm looking for, I'm thinking about like, you know, when you log in to pay your power bill yeah, and you're like, what, what is this? This is <laughs> awful, <time>. right? If <laughs> you like give a me a chat, this. right. Like if you give me a chat window on a site like that, I'm about to be like, hey, Sally, trying to find this. Can you just send me a link? Okay. Because I am old and I'm lazy. I don't want to click buttons. I just want to get where I need to go. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've used them on like a SaaS website if I'm evaluating a solution. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can do what I need to do. Your website is not helping me figure that out. Maybe you know that. And that's why you're giving me this chat person to talk to. And maybe I can just ask Sally and she can give me the right answer. And about 10% of the time that's been effective. So okay. I could probably say I'm with you, Carissa. Like we don't really need them. I don't think they're doing it, but I'm going to use them often because they facilitate my lazy things. I think they're helpful if it's obvious that someone is maybe lost, right? Yeah. Like if Thanks. No. She just said, okay, boomer. <laughs> Let me hold your hand. Okay, listen, Julie, if I'm on a food bloggers and I'm trying to find, I have a lot of allergies. And if I'm trying to find a really specific cupcake recipe and I've gone to seven cupcake recipes and I haven't found it yet. Yeah, you can pop up at me. Help me. <laughs> you know what but, I mean? I just think if it's obvious, like someone's navigating through a certain type of like your pages. Yeah. Doesn't that yeah. make sense? So context, we all agree on context. I think that they are wonderful on like FAQ pages. If I'm on an FAQ and I'm like hitting the plus signs and dropping down and searching and then someone like pops up and they're like, can I help you? I'm like, yes, yes, you can. This is why I'm here. Thank you. Yes. Agree. But if it's, you know, you're on the homepage, right? And you just got there and they're already like harassing you on the homepage. That, that is a, I hate that. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know if I want one on a blog, like a business yeah. blog. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Why would you want one there? I just see them in a lot of places. I don't think they should be. So I think like as a consumer, I get a little, get a little heated about it. But as a, as a marketer, like I, I, I get what they're trying to do. It's just, I don't always think it's executed properly. Yeah. That matters, dude. Yeah. And um, you remind me a bunch of times whenever I say, I don't like something, I don't think we should do it. And you're like, that doesn't matter. You need to think about like the, the person who is their potential customer. What do they want? What do they need? It doesn't matter what you want. And I'm like, yeah, you love this. Yeah. So the the thing that taught me that, and that's like another pet peeve, um, is like when, um, like a marketer or a CEO says like, I don't like this. That's fantastic. Great. We should talk about that. Let's talk about what you don't like. Um, let's make sure if we change it to accommodate your likes, it doesn't become something your, uh, ideal buyer doesn't like. That's really important. 
Um, the thing that taught me that was working in senior living, Ooh, right? Cause if yeah. I visited many a senior living website, um, and I have thought on many a senior living website, the font here is too large, the but is it? Can't see. But, but yeah. Not. Right. Right. Then I thought about my mom looking at a website, yeah. right? My grandma looking at a website, yeah. we're going to bump up that font size a little bit because that's what's necessary for the persona. I don't like it. I'm like, there are four words on the line here, right? I'm the person that on my iPhone, I minimize the text size. So it's like smaller, um, right? But you have to like sometimes get over the hump of I don't like this yeah. to my persona doesn't like this. But you also have to keep your backbone of like, do I not like this because it doesn't meet any best practices or it's just not right versus do I not like this because personally I don't like the color red. Right. So it's, we, ha we have to like gut check ourselves a lot around that, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, and on the, on that topic of what people need versus like what they like, um, one of the topics in our list is not being misleading with blog titles. And whenever someone finds something, give them what they asked for. So like, you know, I That's like hand Jen, emoji, Jen. Me, hand emoji. <laughs> And you, you go, you, you know, well, in our pre-meeting, Carissa, you and I were kind of riffing about this before the recording mm -hmm. where if it's a blog title, specifically you mentioned, if it's in list form, like the blog title promises you a list, eight things that drive marketers nuts about clients. And then you click into the list and there's no list mm -hmm. or like you said, Carissa, maybe there's like a list at the very top that's mm -hmm. just like three words and then the entirety of the rest of the blog is talking about something completely different than the list or the title that makes me equally insane and th there's nothing that bugs me more either than ambiguous blog titles very like enterprisey blog titles but you really don't know what you're going to get when you click into it right like it's not, the blog title isn't specific enough that you no. understand the content and what it, it will be. And that's right. a big thing that I feel like we experience here where, you know, people are kind of just like thinking about keywords or maybe even like their services and they know what they want to say in the blog, but they're not thinking in, in forms of how can this title in 60 characters very quickly educate someone on what they're going to get. Yeah, I think a really important related um, topic on that, especially on the keyword front. Um, if you coined a phrase on how you describe what your company does, do not use that phrase in your keyword. Like you should get people to try to understand you from a brand perspective, like what your company name is. And you should sprinkle in those keywords. Like if you're just like making a new, if you're making a new word for marketing automation, don't, don't use that. Like call it what it is. Right. Like, and actually Julie, you, you got something to say, go for it. I want you to finish. <laughs> I just, I think you have to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are searching for that content. And it's the same thing about misleading blog titles. Like don't like try to expect someone to find something that you're calling super, super specific. They're not going to find it. You need to be thinking about what they are thinking when they're trying to find you. 
Right. Like try to go after that keyword in the example that you're using. Yeah. But they could do a title maybe where they make it clickbaity and enticing to be like the new approach to email automation, colon, and then their made up word or whatever. And, but they're still not, I see what you're saying. Like the goal isn't to rank for their made up word. Their goal right. is to try to rank for the keyword that people are actually looking up um, and then learning more about their rebranded version, you know? Yes, early on, 100%. Early on. Agree, when you're inventing it. But at some point you have to make the decision to own the space that doesn't exist yet. Correct. Because if you're successful and you make it exist and everyone's gonna be talking about it, and if you yes. don't own what you've created, yes. that's not gonna work. But no. like, I always think about like the HubSpot model, right? Like when um, HubSpot was founded, started, inbound marketing was birthed, it like wasn't a completely net new concept. It was a new way of formulating this methodology into something. Yeah. Um, but early on, people weren't finding HubSpot because they wanted to do inbound marketing better. Yes. They were finding HubSpot because they wanted to build landing pages, right? They might have found HubSpot because they wanted all-in-one software. May maybe, but there were like these really specific lanes, right? And maybe they were even starting at a pain point, like they needed to generate leads online, but they weren't searching for inbound marketing versus content marketing. They weren't searching for inbound marketing software and right. HubSpot had to make that happen. Right. Um, I mean, HubSpot's a great case study in making Fetch happen. Yes. Um, like fantastic. But if they hadn't talked about inbound marketing prolifically at the same time as they were talking about building landing pages, um, someone else who was more established in the space could have easily been like, oh, like Eloqua is inbound marketing software now. We're going to talk about it that way. Yeah. Right, here you go. And then all of a sudden, little HubSpot's low domain authority isn't enough to carry that concept. So I love your solution, Jen, of saying like, the new way to do this is that. Um, and like it's definitely blended. using it in the context of the actual post, yeah. like sprinkling in a few in there that are like, this is sort of our manifesto. Yeah. Yeah. And like have that anchor content. I don't even want to call that pillar content. I'm going to call that anchor content. Yeah. Um, and then you can pull that in periodically. Yeah. It's being able that to really describe what it is that you've created. Yeah. Right. Because it's exactly yeah. what you're saying. People, people wanted to build landing pages. They maybe wanted an all-in-one solution. They maybe wanted a CRM and it's like, okay, it's a CRM and, right? Like it's- Yeah. Inbound who? Inbound who? <laughs> Establishing with the client to the right mindset to understand, hey, we're playing a long game here. So yes. that's yes. another pet peeve of the fact that the, the client might be like, well, we invested all this money into going after this new- word that we're branding and we're not even ranking for it or, or blah, 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 or whatever. And you're like, well, this is not going to happen in a month. No, creating a game. Right. This might even take a few years. Like you don't want to scare them, but depending on the size of their company and their um, resources to produce content and develop new products or services and grow, depending on their growth and their scale, they might not see results for that right away and um yeah 
you know, that can be a pet peeve too, when you have a, like a client that doesn't understand that some things take time. Right. Yeah, that, that can be hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I've seen many times where like organic increasing due to, um, blogging and content marketing efforts takes a long time, like 12, 18 months, even in an established category, sometimes it takes longer in an established category. Um, and that's why like, you can't, you can't just blog yeah. once upon a time you could just blog in the, the good old days, a <laughs> um, hundred years ago in the marketing, digital marketing world, you could blog and you could write good blog posts and you could use your keywords and Google would be like, you have 75 pages about how to leave a good voicemail. So I'm going to let you rank for how to write a good voicemail. You have 75 <laughs> pages. It must be good. Mm-hmm. And then marketers abused that. Yeah. We ruined it for everyone. Yeah. We were too good. Oh, it doesn't work that way. So um, actual good content. Scary thought. Actual good content over time has always been what's going to be effective. And we don't always have time. So got to get that marketing mix. And um, I what we were kind of talking about earlier is um, you know, having a misleading blog title, which I think is a bigger conversation about perhaps maybe keyword stuffing, right? Like reining someone in with something that you really shouldn't have been, um, whatsoever. So I, let's just say I'm going to use food again, food blogging. Cause wow. I look at a lot of those. If I'm looking for alternatives to cornstarch because to bake with, because I can't have cornstarch, and you mentioned cornstarch once, maybe five times throughout your blog, and you don't actually tell me said alternative, and you just reined me in with like a title that said alternatives to cornstarch, and you were really just like publishing recipes. That's rude. That's real rude. <laughs> well, that is. It happened. It happened. It took me so long to find like an alternative for cornstarch when I was trying to bake cookies a couple weekends, uh, not cookies, a cake a couple weeks ago. I was going to say cookies, cornstarch. Sorry. Sorry. Panic. I mean, okay. <laughs> um, for, our, for our listeners, what did you end up using? Um, it was um, baking soda and lemon juice. For cornstarch? I mean, baking powder replacement. Sorry. Oh, wait, what? So baking powder has cornstarch in it. I didn't know that. Hold on. Let me make sure I'm not being a liar. Just please. Well, some of them very well might. Um, Powdered sugar does. Hold on. Yeah. Cornstarch makes things not clump. Baking powder usually contains cornstarch, which makes it difficult for me to bake. Bake. Um, But yeah. So that's why I was leavening. Huh? (laughs) Leavening. (laughs) So I had to look for an alternative, but yes, baking soda. And lemon juice. Lemon juice, because you're increasing the acidity to change its behavior. That's kind of. Cool. I have a I have a book that you would love, Carissa. It is about the science of baking. It might be dangerous if you had it. <laughs> that's yeah. fun. But anyway, it, it was just you Sorry. know that was no 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 no. It's just like <laughs> that's that's super wrong to keyword stuff like that. You don't even get to like long tail keywords too right? To like try to rein someone in and don't even help them. <laughs> don't even help them. I was hurt. Then talk to us about content quality. Seriously. Please. 
I mean, it's very, very important. You all don't need me to tell you that, but um, I mean, everyone wants quick answers nowadays, right? That's why Google gives us its beautiful little featured snippets and stuff like that right at the top um, to kind of answer our questions. In a perfect world, you would have Googled that, Carissa, and there would have been one really bolded line at the top of your Google page telling you that you just needed baking, what was it, baking soda and lemon juice? Mm-hmm. It would have just said that for you. Um, but I think sometimes as a writer, I struggle with making things easy for the reader, but also not summing something up in a sentence because, you know, from a ranking perspective, we want to create some content there. And to me, that's sometimes hard. Like, I don't want to tell them the answer right away at the top. So, you know, oftentimes it's like a best practice in the blog to give them their solution early on for like the snippet or those different reasons. But to me, it's like an art trying to find a way to kind of answer it or start answering it and then explaining in detail before you wrap up at the end, like, here you go, here's the synopsis of the big answer at the end. Um, And I think that's why, you know, writing for the most part still hasn't been something that we can successfully automate. It takes some creative flair and thinking um, and it's fun. I enjoy doing that. But um, that's so true, Jen. I've been trying to figure out why I can be on my phone in the morning and I can read like a Vice article, right? And just like get through the whole thing in two minutes. And if you put a business blog in front of me, I start it like this. And if you're just listening to this podcast and not watching a video, I just looked at my hand and blinked with an empty look on my face. Um, So I've I've been trying to figure out why that is. And I think it's what you just said, right? I am reading a story on Vice with a beginning, a middle, and an an end. On a business blog, I'm reading like an answer. Yeah. Even if I'm not reading it to look for an answer, even if the title tells me I'm going to get a story, I'm reading an answer and it's not as fun to read. Yeah. Should we make reading fun again? As much as you can, I guess. (laughs) Do pictures really fix everything? (laughs) Sometimes pictures fix everything. Um, No, I, I like to read things that are, I think, more like ethnographic in nature. Um like my inner anthropologist showing. So my favorite business books are the ones that have a lot of personal stories yeah. or are like literal ethnographies and things like that. So um, maybe that's a good like challenge. Can you take one blog post you write every month and make it more of a story and a journey than an answer to a question? Mm-hmm. I have a post I need to write. So maybe I'll see if I can go down that road. See, and I, I love, I love a blog that has a lot of bullet points. I am a, I'm a lazy reader, which is why I have a hard time getting through books. Um, but I don't like audio books. There's no fixing me. It's fine. But like, I love a blog that's really got things broken down in bullet points for me. Oh yeah. And that's why, that's why I'm so particular. Like, um, Jen, I mentioned to you, like if you, if I'm reading a blog, x amount of ways like 10 ways to um drink more water i don't know 
And those 10 things, they're not numbered. I'm going to get mad and I'm going to leave because I get real mad when things aren't numbered. Okay. You're promising me a numbered list and I can't easily find one through 10. I'm going to be real pissed. Yeah. I feel you there. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes if you write in Google docs and probably even a word doc, one of the challenges is if you make a numbered list, it automatically indents it. And none of us ever want that. So I think we say like, oh, I'll go back and add the numbers later. And then we never do. I'm going to give you a hack if you're running into that problem. (laughs) So when Google doc and Excel hacks go for it, I am a (laughs) hundred. When you are writing and you do one period space and word or Google docs or whatever else you're using indent that just undo. That's what I do. (laughs) You just undo and it goes away. That formatting is gone and you can go on with your life. Yeah, you could. You can also just clear the, like highlight it and put the clip. Yes. So, okay. Julie is the queen of keyword shortcuts. And I am the person that's just like, how did you bold that without, without highlighting it? (laughs) She's like, command B. Yes. Do it. (laughs) You can also do in a Google doc, you can do like command two and get your H2 formatting. By the way, if you're a HubSpot user and you're working in a Google Doc and you copy and paste, that header formatting will go into your Google Doc or into your HubSpot blog post or whatever you're working on. So behooves you to do it there where it's a little easier and you don't have to click. So it's the best thing. Give me keyboard shortcut. Like another good episode. Like little uh, keyboard shortcuts. Life hacks. <laughs> keyboard shortcuts by Julie. <laughs> Oh my I'll talk about keyboard shortcuts for an hour. No, um, marketer life hacks would be great. If you'd like to hear marketer life hacks, <laughs> leave us a comment, let us know, <laughs> and you'll hear it soon on another episode of Maiden Voyage. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Well, I know we're getting towards the end here, Julie, but we've been saving the best for last. Uh, no. Did we miss one? I want to hear your little debate about lead scoring. Oh, I'm here for lead scoring. <laughs> I have done full podcast episodes in the past about lead scoring. Um, here's, here's the long and short of lead scoring. Most, many businesses do not need lead scoring. Why do I say that? <laughs> well, if you're only getting five leads a week, why are you scoring them? Preach, girl. <laughs> You should just call them all. That's one a day. Call them all. (laughs) Call them all. Um, Most lead scoring models have very little to do with actual readiness to buy, right? We've been like sold this idea of lead scoring is about how engaged someone is with your website. Well, listen, if you're reading 45 blogs on my website, that's fantastic. And I would like a BDR to call you and just be like, hey, how's it going? What's up? (laughs) Is there anything I can help you with? Are you researching something? I'd love to send you something about this or that. Like, I would love for that to happen. But that person who's read 45 blog posts and not viewed a service page and not requested a demo isn't ready for a demo. Or they're a competitor. Or they're a competitor, or they're a very savvy competitor. Um, but like scoring that lead as a sales qualified lead because they've read 45 blog posts does not mean they're a sales qualified lead. Yeah. 
does not mean anyone in sales should be talking to them yet. Like it means they're maybe in this like bridging the gap phase. It means they have great awareness of your brand. It means they likely think your content is very valuable. It means your marketing is effective to them. Doesn't mean they're ready to buy or even buying. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've never liked the measurement on lead scoring of they've downloaded X number of eBooks, which means there's a form fill. Great. Fabulous. I'm glad they filled out a form, but like 10, 10 eBooks does not equal. They're also ready for a demo. Like how about what, what eBooks were they, were they, what, what part of the funnel were they, you know what I mean? Mm. Crazy. Um, wild. Are they engaging with any of the lead nurturing that has come with that eBook? Right. Um, maybe some of those things be helpful. Yeah. I like those things. Not just like like 10 books, full stop, like ready for a demo. (laughs) Right. So here's what I'll say. I like lead scoring. I like lead scoring to measure how effective marketing content is. I, I'm not going to call it a lead score because that has some like loaded meaning in the world. I'm going to call it a marketing score. If my goal is to get the context in my database to engage with as much as my, of my marketing as possible, and if I want to measure if I can get someone through the funnel or if I can get more focus to the middle or bottom of the funnel, maybe I can score them on those things. Mm-hmm. And maybe if I give a sales rep a lead, and let's say we're getting a good amount of leads, just enough that a rep can handle them on a weekly basis, um, and I'm able to say, okay, here are your leads. I've given them some marketing scores. It's just about their engagement with content. It's not about their readiness to buy. But just so you know, these five people have engaged with our content and our marketing funnel the most. And these five people have engaged with it a little bit less. Do with that information what you will. That is information for you to research and and go to and know those engagement points. All of these leads are valuable because they've all requested a demo. Yeah. Right, like I can make terms with that. I can think about, listen, if I have a BDR team and, or even one BDR, and I don't quite have enough like demo requests or service page leads and things like that to be giving them. And I want them to start prioritizing maybe some leads for marketing and helping to close the gap, right? I can, I can in my mind say, okay, maybe I give them that marketing score, or maybe I just give them like a hot lead list, right? Hot leads list and lead scoring aren't so different, but mentally we treat them completely differently. Yes. Right. Scores mean this is better than this. Hot leads list means here's some people who have done these things recently. It's stacked in order of recently. The people at the top have done it soonest. You interpret your own meaning out of that one. Like, right. You give it to someone and say like, whatever this means to you versus a lead scoring list that tells someone supposedly what it's supposed to mean. Yes. And like you you said, it's like, that doesn't necessarily, you just, you don't need lead scoring. Now, if you have too many leads, if you have more leads than you can handle, if you need the cream to rise to the top because everyone's getting lost in the shuffle, maybe we can talk about lead scoring. Maybe we, but it should be multifaceted. You probably need multiple scores that add up to something else and pull in some like key behavioral elements to create an actual picture of something. You can't just be like, this person's a 95, they're great. 
right? Like if someone, if um, a certain amount of points for like, I think visiting a pricing page is a really relevant. Oh, I love that. To do, right? But um, as far as like actual website engagement um, rather than just like content engagement, but it's just usually, I'm, it's not, usually it's not multifaceted. Like there's just a blanket thrown on lead scoring and that's why it's messed up. And you know what? You do all that effort and you set it up. Your reps aren't going to use that. They're not. <laughs> They're like, cool, this has like a, like say if it's a, what if it's a Facebook lead and Facebook leads really don't convert for you. And as a salesperson, like as a, as a sales, um, an SDR, you know that they could have the highest lead score in the world because they interacted with all this content and like no single demo you have scheduled has attended that was a Facebook lead. Why are you going to bother with that? Regardless of what lead score it has, you're not gonna, <laughs> you know better. So there's this great, um, like, uh, like anthropological case study that I, I think you probably read in every anthro 101 class or like every cultural anthro 101 class it's called baseball magic and every time I think about like sales reps and SDRs and BDRs interacting with contacts I think about baseball magic um, the premise of this case study is like have you seen a baseball player walk up to the plate and every time they do the same thing have you seen the playoff beard? Have you seen the guy who doesn't change his socks all season because he wore those socks and hasn't washed them and hasn't missed an at-bat since whatever, right? Baseball magic. Um, it's really great. If you can find it, read it. Uh, but I feel like sales reps are the same way. Like if they got one Facebook lead and followed up and it became their greatest success demo request, they would follow up aggressively with every Facebook lead. Even if all other things were equal. So I feel like lead scoring can get you in that same path. Carissa, your face is classic. <laughs> I've heard this complaint. I've heard it. Just yeah. Like, I don't want that lead. It's, it's not, they're not going to close. I don't want it. Don't put it on my calendar. Like, okay. Right. And they could like meet every ICP. They could yeah. have requested the demo, view the pricing page, oh, yeah. done XYZ, ABC. But it's like, oh, but they came from an ebook download and I've never closed an ebook download. So they're no good. Ooh, that anecdotal feedback, man. It's the best, right? The numbers don't matter. <laughs> the numbers don't matter. This gets it. This will get me real heated about lead attribution, but we won't because Ooh. we're coming up on the top. Yeah. Well, this has gotten very real. This has been a very real episode of Main and Voyage. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we all have unpopular marketing opinions and pet peeves, but I'm glad we also all have solutions for them and ways um, every person can work to improve our personal pet peeves, which are truly personal problems. Yeah. Sadly, that'll do it for this week's episode of Maiden Voyage. We'd like to thank you, our amazing listeners, because let's face it, lady life is hard. It's incredible how much we accomplish every day, and we all deserve awards just for existing. If you're watching the show, make sure that you subscribe, click on that thing for instant notifications, speak your mind in the comments, and share us with your fellow voyagers.